The following is an exclusive presentation of 680 WPTF and Applied Vision Works. This is the Building a Leadership Culture podcast, hosted by President of Applied Vision Works, Don Hadley. An in-depth look at how Don and his team help businesses reach their long-term goals. Here's the host of the Building a Leadership podcast, Don Hadley. Hello, welcome into Building a Leadership Culture podcast. This is Bruce Gresham of Applied Vision Works filling in for Don Hadley. The conversation I had with Ket Gonda, CEO of American Circuits, was so powerful, we decided to cut it into two parts. Ket and I honed in on what it takes for leaders to transform their teams and businesses by leading for the long term. In this first part of the conversation, we discuss what leading for the long term means to us and how to drive an improved culture and business strategy through meaningful communication. Let's jump right in. So Ket, you and I have known each other uh a while. Tell us a little bit about about yourself and about American Circuits. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Bruce, and thanks for having me on your program. I um, I joined American Circuits in uh, 2012, and my background uh, was more different, not necessarily unusual, but I came more from finance, as as you know. I uh, after undergrad, I went to uh, UNC Chapel Hill here locally. And after undergrad, I went to New York and uh, worked on Wall Street for a bit. Uh, I was at the infamous Lehman Brothers, uh, which I like to joke that I had nothing to do with what happened there. It's too junior anyway. And along the way, got a, an MBA and a JD actually at uh, Columbia. And then worked some more in finance when my father, who, who started the business with his brothers, uh, it was a family business, You know, he asked me to join. I was sort of set in my career path at the time, but looking for something different, a little disillusion with finance. And, you know, after about a year or so, decided to join American Circuit and thinking I could bring more of a business slash finance background, not by far no expert in engineering, um, no expert in the business. I did not work in it growing up. I, nothing at all. I didn't even take classes at my school that would relate to this job, which knowing I was here now, I would have had a whole set of different electives, you know, through my MBA and even through the law school. But, Less ballroom dancing, right? And more engineering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was there's there's a class is called managing a growing business and entrepreneurship <laughs> and family business management. I didn't take any of them. But I uh, didn't know I was gonna end up here. Uh, you know how life goes. And um but joined joined here and uh, thought I could still bring something, you know, professionalize the place uh, and you know think more you know, kind of longer term, you know, as is your, your theme for the show. And so, so, so joined in 2012 and been here since then, took on the, the, the leadership role, CEO, president role about a year and a half ago in totality, you know, family business transitions tend to be notorious. I thought my family was different, but we were the same and we had our own issues. But over time, I just kept uh, taking bigger pieces of the pie until I just took over the whole thing sort of organically. But it was it was an interesting ride and I've learned a tremendous amount along the way, including what I told you here. I actually tell people in interviews that I am no expert in this business. I mean, people I'm trying to hire who I want to believe in me and the business, I tell them I don't know that much about the business. You know, it's a great way to earn folks trust early on, right? Let them know that you're not all knowing and all sensing and that the reason why you have a team is to be able to figure out the best way to to connect with clients and deliver for clients. And so building a team with being open and honest and maybe even a little bit vulnerable 
is, is a great way to connect with people before they even start day one. You know, you hit it spot on. I, I did it uh, sort of just naturally my personality. I'm more collaborative in nature anyway. And, you know, I'm more the type I, I, you know, people say, oh, it's the fit that matters, but I really believe in that. And so they'll figure it out one way or the other. So why hide it? Just be out with it. And it ended up working out exactly the way you said, even better than I expected, to tell you the truth. Uh, it was less a calculation, but, you know, they, they appreciated the transparency. Those who thought it was right for them were more on board when they came on. And uh, I would tell people straight up, look, I don't have this expertise. Here's what I have. I mean, I need you to be my guy managing the quality department or managing engineering. And you're going to be... And, 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 and implicit in that conversation is you're going to be my go-to expert. And, and they were like, this is fantastic. I'm, I'm basically starting at a company that's sort of on the ground up. Even though we had been in business for 25 years at the time, you know, I brought in a fresh perspective and you know a growth perspective, and they got to be somewhere from the ground up. It felt entrepreneurial, and they got to lead uh, their section. And you know, you're my expert. You know, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to be wrong, and I have no problem with that. It's a great way to empower your people, empower your leaders to make decisions and help you grow the business. And really, the reason why I wanted to have you on this this call is I started forming the idea of having the topic be leading for the long term is you've had to make tough decisions since you joined the business in 2012. And we'll talk about those uh, a little bit later. But this whole idea of leading for the long term really came specifically from a CEO that I've had the privilege of spending a lot of time with and working working directly with. And his approach was the goal to continue to build the business and to build the purpose behind is sometimes we're not going to make the best decision for our stock price or for Wall Street or for the quarter. Uh, We're really looking at, at all times for what's the best for the long term, three, five, 10, 20 years out, if you will. And so sometimes it's it's tough not to make the expedient decision when people are are really you know counting on you to deliver in a quarter or in a year. And so what I found from being in the presence of that leader is really being inspired. And whether we were having a a rough time or even in the good times, that vision and that forward-looking thinking was always at the forefront and really inspired me to push hard regardless of, of where we were. In your mind, when we talk about leading for the long term, what does what does that mean to you? Sure. I and I'm gonna start with a really quick on the business just so everybody mm-hmm. knows uh what we do, we're a manufacturer and an electronics contract manufacturer, which basically means we make electronic products for other companies. The best example, the easiest example is is the iPhone. It is not made by Apple. It is made by Foxconn in China. Apple designs, markets, markets it, and you know keeps that higher margin por- portion of the business. They outsource the manufacturing to an expert who can consolidate you know, in our in our case, consolidate overhead from different companies. In Foxconn's case, 
all they need is Apple. That's plenty of overhead being absorbed. <laughs> um, but it's it's essentially the same principle um, across all sorts of industries. Anything with a brain, you can make. It has a circuit board in it and is an electronic product. And so we do that domestically, locally in Charlotte, North Carolina, on a much, much smaller scale than Foxconn. But um, essentially, it's manufacturing, Uh service manufacturing, contract manufacturing, outsourced manufacturing, even if it's in the US. And um, when I think about the long term, to get to your question, it's it's sort of the way I operate. You know, I never even, uh, it was less, again, sometimes you, you learn along the way about your own leadership style and how you do things. But I was always willing to make a sacrifice, a current sacrifice for the future, whether it was you know, studying school or working my way up the ladder in corporate America. And when I came here, there was uh, plenty of instances where you would you would need to make that trade-off. I would, you know, when I came in, there was an, a veteran guard of, of family members, many of whom remember me in, in diapers at one point in my life. And so I had <laughs> that's to... A tough, that's a tough uh, <laughs> image to overcome. How, how can you, how can you lead when someone changed your diaper? Yeah, it, 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 um, it doesn't help, especially when you don't have the expertise and they, you know, maybe you have a great resume, but, but what do you know about this business kid? Yeah. is right. is basically going through their head. And, but along the way I would, you know, change processes or promote certain, uh, changes or protocols. And there's always the, you know, typical, as you've heard, oh, we've always done it this way, or, you know, what's the point in this? You're making it take longer. You're building up these systems that make everything slow down and you're costing us efficiency and, and speed is critical. And then I would counter with, it's fine right now, but we want to grow, right? And what if volumes double? How will you, how will one person in their brain manage all the workflow? It's great you're magnificent at actually knowing where everything is going on at all times from the seat of your pants. But at some point, every human being has their limitation and there's no way you can keep on top of everything or your replacement can keep on top of everything because the system was designed around you. It was not designed around whoever we may find to replace you. And you just have those battles and you know, over time, you, you make whatever changes you can, some you don't get to do and you try them again later on. Um, and, uh, you take some heat along the way and you, you increase some costs too, for sure. Um, you do need support. I had to support my, my father was the president and I had his support. So that helped. He, um, supported me in theory, more in practice, less in practice. He would kind of unwind some decisions along the way, but he did at least support me morally. Um, and, um, you know, it, like, for example, I, you probably want some more specific examples. We would, uh, whether it was interviewing, we talked about the people thing. Um, and that's a big theme for me is the, the people focus. But I would spend hours interviewing people. And and there was a joke. I mean, people would openly laugh at how long I took interviewing staff uh, that mm -hmm. I was bringing on. And, and it was personally a hit because I have other things to do. Um, but I, I just stuck to it. I want to spend uh multiple hours over multiple interviews depending on the you know the the role and how you know how much influence they may have because i want that right person sure i could find a good enough but what if i could find better and through those conversations and through that process i think it's worked out we've had 
people join that, you know, are long-term they're bought in. They like what I discussed with them in the interview, how open I was and they, they, they're a great fit. And, you know, we made a human connection in that interview, which carries because it's all about relationships at the end of the day. And you want long-term relationships because otherwise they leave, they're dissatisfied. You have turnover. I mean, there's so many consequences in a business decision that you cannot anticipate, but if you sort of do it the right way, um, those things will solve themselves in the long term. I think you made a great point about sometimes making decisions, leading for the long term, and that short term, it's not only staying steady, you sometimes regress and you have a dip in productivity, but you've got to rearrange things. You've got to change the game to make things happen so that you can really launch the business to where you ultimately want it to be and get to that flight path to be successful for the long term, not only for yourselves and your your business, if you're a business owner, but for your people, uh, for their families and, and for their clients. And sometimes working through that short-term regression is really the, the hardest part of improvement. It is because it's, it's hard to, you know, it's a cost. You don't always know it's going to play out. Getting people on board, you know, is always a part of the equation, whether you're, you're in the leadership role I am in now as the CEO or whether you're, you know, somewhere along the way trying to convince others, but it, you're always trying to get everybody on board. You can, even if you can always, you can try to force things, but it won't work out the same way if you don't have everybody on board. So you have to try to promote the vision and get enough momentum to, to make, take that short-term hit and to regress, like you're saying, for the eventual long-term benefit that, you know, you can chase sales, but, you know, if you lose it on the back end or you get, you get the sales in and then you drop the ball, then, then what's that? You know, that's just wasted effort in sales. Um, so you need that system that can support the sales. You hear a lot about sales, but you have to deliver. And if you're not sure, then maybe you need to fix that first before you drop the sale. You need to be operationally excellent, you know, before you launch a product or bring in a bunch of clients. Because to your point, if you're not operationally excellent and you're not servicing the client at a high level, all you're doing is spinning your wheels and you're having a lot of client churn and and a lot of challenges. You know, just getting back to maybe that dip in trying to make things better for the long term. You know, communication is really the key. Communicating a clear vision, bringing folks in with passion, getting them excited about the long-term vision. How did you go about communicating with your people and your teams when there was maybe a dip in productivity and you had some skeptics? Yes. And that's an excellent point, by the way, Bruce. Um, communication is very critical. Um, I tend to, you know, I'd said before, be more collaborative and I tend to share and be a little more transparent. So I would explain to people why I'm doing things or what the vision is or what the plan is. Um, it, it is a cost. You, you're busy. Uh, if someone has a family, they're even more busy. Um, and you don't always think you have that time to explain to that person why you're doing something or what are you thinking and, and what is, you know, you, it's easy to say, oh yeah, we're doing this for sales and move on. But that, that's not, that doesn't, it 
it's not really going to click. I mean, it, either it already has clicked or it hasn't already clicked. That off-the-cuff remark probably won't make a difference. Um, you have to find the people that you think you know are less they're less sure and you pick up on that but you have to take the time and go out of your way and those are hours spent you know explaining this and here's what I'm thinking but you can see over time it starts clicking and once you get some wins then they start believing in you more and it's a lot easier for them to just get on board later on and then you took the time to explain to them so they can actually be more effective in enacting your vision too and it's, again, you can't always anticipate all the different ways things play out. Um, but I would take that hit, personal hit, and I would go out of my way explaining what I'm doing, the why behind it, making sure they understand. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work out, but they're still on board because they're like, well, everything doesn't have to work out. But you know, they understood the reasons by which this person did this thing. And you start getting that momentum with the people I hired you know, if we were already clicking in the interview, I had shared some vision with them then, then they start helping you convince others. So I may have a hard time, you know, convincing my father at the time, who was the head, why we should do something because I didn't have the engineering language at the time, the manufacturing language, I wasn't steeped in it. But then now I have my, my engineer here, who's like, no, 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 here's what he's saying and why he's saying it. And he's now explaining in technical terms why this won't work out. And all of a sudden, minds change um, as you get you know, more allies in the room, so to speak. You know, you mentioned the clicking of the team. And you know, sometimes there's some misfires there. You'll make two steps and then have to take a step back. Um, and you get that clicking going. And then the team kind of engages. And then it's kind of like two or three or four gears spinning. And then all of a sudden, you're taking off. But to get to that point where everyone's dialed in and the gears are moving, um, it you know, you have to spend the time, like you said, communicating. And there is the old adage that someone has to hear, read, or do something seven times before they get it. And now with how everyone's bombarded uh, with news and information and Twitter and social media, now it, folks are saying that people have to do, read, see things somewhere between 12 and 15 times before they get it. And so one thing that I learned on a temporary assignment at a large operation that we had in a previous employer, there were about 300 to 350 employees at any time. It processed a tremendous amount of volume and was actually one of the best run shops um, for what we did anywhere in the country, whether it was our business or, or anyone else's. And what I found was, is you had to communicate in many different ways. You couldn't just say the same thing the same way over and over again. So you'd, you'd have an in-person meeting, you'd send an email. When those things weren't connecting and you know, just the the stand-up team meetings and the emails kind of weren't punching through, we changed the game a little bit and would do different things like shooting a short video that was one and a half minutes and you know, putting it up on a TV in the break room or texting it out to you know, our different leaders to share with people on the shop floor. And you've got to be creative in how you're trying to connect with these people so that your vision and your long-term strategy really resonates not only with the first-line leaders that you know you're responsible for hiring Ket and bringing into the organization, 
but so that it filters down one to two levels um, so that everybody everybody buys in. Yeah, that's really interesting and 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 a good point. Um, some of those things I haven't even tried myself, but you're right. It's um, hitting people in different ways and then getting the communication channels from different directions, whether it's from the CEO or from their first line supervisor or their friend or whoever. It's a, it's a cultural thing overall. And um, that's what I was managing when I was bringing people on board and spending all this time explaining them the way I'm thinking. You would be surprised if you, as a leader, give the, the people who are really interested that kind of time. And they start, it might take a few months, but they start seeing what you're doing and why you're doing it. And if you have an open dialogue and you go, oh, wait, I was wrong. Yeah, I shouldn't do that. I'll, I have no problem saying that. And then I'll pivot. And then they realize, oh, you know, they're, you're forming a connection and they're getting heard. You're listening to them. They're listening to you. And then they start getting overall the, the grand vision, which, which is ha- harder to, you can always describe it in some cursory language, but the actual feel and the implementation is, is a lot more detailed. You can't cover that. And so they just start getting on board and then you start seeing them do things the way you would have wanted it done because they picked it up from you and they're like, oh, that's why he does it this way. That's, that's not a bad idea. And then they start doing it. And, and again, you're spending that time and you're building that culture. I know I had an MBA class where they talked about culture that I barely paid attention to because it was one of those soft classes and you're, you know, you're like, and oh yeah. It ends up being the most important one. Yeah, it right? ends up being, you know, it's, it's harder to teach, I think. Um, but yeah, it ends up, it's like, you know, it ends up being the most important, just like communication that you, you hear about these things, but it, the culture is huge. Um, and I was fighting a cultural battle and, and changing the culture. And I'm still, I always have targets in my mind of things I want to change. Uh, that were legacy that didn't work for us. If it works for us, I want to save it and, and nourish it. Um, but it is it is definitely a cultural game, whether it was you know for the business or even through the, the coronavirus or the COVID experience. It was all the same throughout all. Now, I, you mentioned culture, and I want to pull on that thread a little little bit because I think it's just so important. One of the things that we fought through uh, in a past at a past company was really changing that culture. Um, we were operationally excellent, but in many, many ways, we people were viewed as widgets. And that just was not a healthy environment. We had a lot of turnover. Um, we weren't... Our employees were delivering a tremendous amount of value, but we weren't delivering value to them. And enabling them to see all the great things that came with working for our company, working with our clients, and quite candidly, the impact that they were making in the world. They just thought they were running a machine, getting widgets through the machine. And what we did is we started with a communication campaign to to change our overall culture, but it was really centered around here is this incredible thing that you're delivering. You are this group across this organization nationally is the best at what we do. And we were in the mailing and shipping industry and the number of packages and mail pieces that we were sending um, through the network was really the only organization larger in the entire world was the United States Postal Service. 
And so once we started to make that connection with people, have them understand the value that they were bringing to just the entire world and to our clients, they started to talk with their families about what they did and started to kind of stand up straight and believe in what we were doing. And once they were believing in what they were doing, we could you know, have the conversation about why we were going to do things differently and how we were going to change things. And one of the things that we did to lead for the long term uh, was when the tax cuts from a few years ago occurred and you know we could have a political conversation about tax cuts but there there was a tremendous amount of money that went back into businesses and instead of using those funds on stock buybacks the decision to invest in equipment in built buildings in the environment that our employees were working in and then we also did permanent raises not one time bonuses that you heard a lot about but we did permanent raises for our frontline workers. Um, so didn't go to the C-suite or the leadership team. It went into investing in the business for our clients and investing in our people, for our people, their families, and our clients. And that was something that didn't show up in a stock price or in the quarterly review. In fact, we were dinged for it in the, the short term. But in the long term, in employee surveys and in our retention rates, our employee survey scores went through the roof. Our retention rates, which ultimately helped our bottom lines, increased by a tremendous amount. And we were able to really make a difference in the lives of our people and the culture of our company and therefore able to service our clients better. Give me a couple of examples of times when you and your leadership team have, have had to make those tough choices that didn't maybe line your pockets right away, but were the right thing to do for the long term and, and paid dividends in the end. Yeah, you know, we, we're very, um, I mean, it is, it, it started as a family business and it, and it still is. And so we're very people centric and, and um, we've even had a, a couple instances where, um, a couple employees were just very surprised about, you know, something that may have occurred. And I, and I had asked another employee, oh, what's going on? And they said, they're just not used to a company that actually cares about their people this way. Um, that's sad, isn't it? Th- it is, it is. And, um, you know, you can't uh, always just that focus on, uh, money, um, obviously we're in business you know, there's resources and you need to generate profits and no one is implying otherwise. Um, but we, you know, within reason and, um, that, that narrow kind of small minded focus almost, um, it, it doesn't really pay dividends in the long run. Um, you know, it's probably also not the right thing to do, but if you really want to just put a pure business hat on it, it does, I don't believe it pays those dividends. And then your example is a really great one. And, uh, I think it's very true. It's, um, you know, taking the time, you know, whether it's, you know, people talk about training a lot, but whether it's cultural training or, or training in anything, you know, giving people opportunities, going out of your way as a manager for people, I think is a big deal. Um, they know you're busy. They know you don't have a lot of time, but, um, they need something. Maybe they're struggling in, on their home life a little bit. You know, you need to tend to them as a human 
as a human being. Thank you for joining us for part one of Leading for the Long Term. You can learn more about Ket and his team at American Circuits by going to AmericanCircuits.com. That's American Circuits with an S. You can connect with the Applied Vision Works team by going to AppliedVisionWorks.com or visiting us on LinkedIn or Twitter, where we have excellent thought leadership pieces and tools you can use to help build the team's business and success you deserve. Thank you for listening and click on over for part two. You've been listening to the Building a Leadership Culture podcast, hosted by Don Hadley, owner and president of Applied Vision Works. Questions, concerns? Please email Craig Chase at cchase at appliedvisionworks.com or call 800-786-4332. This has been an exclusive presentation of 680 WPTF and Applied Vision Works.